Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Mo speaking, and I've got another session that we had at the Seeds Impact Conference. Really enjoyed this one. Um, it was led by Alex Hanant with Dr. Marissa Kaloga and Ian Short, and they had a panel on systems innovation for impact. I think you're really going to enjoy this and also be challenged by what they were talking about. If that's the case for you, then why not post about it or tell one other person about this episode? Now let's get straight into this panel. Kira Koto, um, it's been a, a, a long day, I think, for everyone. So sort of bringing up the rear guard with this session. And um, we're going to have a conversation um, really that explores innovation and impact. And very pleased to invite um, into the conversation colleagues, um, Dr. Uh, Marissa Kaloga and also Ian Short. So um, I'm just going to do a few slides to set up our conversation, but I promise you it's not going to be um, a death by PowerPoint session. The, the kind of framing for this um, conversation is something that I'm sure we are all very aware of, that we are now in a time of increasing change, um, disruption and risk. And um, there's a sense that, you know, if we are going to respond to systemic challenges and opportunities, that we kind of have to do that in a way which matches the nature of the challenge and that we have to organize and act systemically. But the catch is, while I think there's a great sense of that intuitively this is the right way to go, approaches require us to do things quite differently. So changing our paradigms, changing the way that we organize, change the way that we resource, um, uh, changing the way that we work together. And a big reason for this um, around sort of the need for change is a lot of our kind of innovation kind of um, framing and indeed a lot of the, the way that we approach um, some of the sort of key things we, you know, sort of want and need to change in the world is very much around kind of, uh, you know, solutions to problems. But when we're talking about engaging with systems, these things aren't sort of, you know, sort of easily definable. They're complex. They're emergent. And if we are truly to shift systems to a different place, then we have to work on a number of things at the same time. So it's not just about delivering things which create impact. It's around influencing and working with the underlying web of things, patterns, narratives, power relationships, norms. And of course, then, you know, kind of the way that physical resources flow and, you know, and indeed the activities we take and the effect of those activities. So transformation demands us to work in a very, very different way from um, the way that we've typically thought about solving problems or fixing problems. So um, when we work in systems, it's really going from a complicated frame to the complex frame. So there's a lot of talk around systems change now, um, but um, what does this really look like in practice? And if we believe that some of these emerging practices, which are generally taking a kind of more systemic uh, way of responding um, to the challenges and opportunities we face, how might we get more of them? Now, I've invited um, Ian and Marissa onto this panel for a very good reason, because at the end of last year, Ian and Marissa were part of a cohort of people who um, work with systems came together in a sort of discovery process to see um, what were systems initiatives actually doing in practice. Not just what were they doing, but also how were they doing it. So we had a range of partners. At the time, I was um, 
uh, you know, working with the Centre for Systems Innovation at Griffith University. Um, but we pulled together a range of partners from both Aotearoa New Zealand and Australia and had a cohort which engaged with seven systems initiatives from around the world. They included uh, Regen Melbourne, which is a city-based um, uh, platform for deep collaboration. Missions for which is taking a mission-orientated innovation approach in rural um, fisheries uh, around the world and trying to shift both the sort of economic models, but also, you know, to ensure that there are good social outcomes. We worked with uh, Moving Feast, uh, a co collaboration of social and community enterprises around the food system in Victoria. Uh, we spoke with the Southern Initiative in uh, South Auckland. We also worked with participatory, uh, participatory uh, Canada and also the Regen Network, which is a really interesting initiative working in the Web3 space, trying to create public infrastructure for um, environmental and landscape regeneration. So I'm going to stop the um, slides there and just wanted to set up. And we wanted to have this conversation to basically share with you some of the things which we learned on that process, some of the questions we're still holding, and then turn towards what's going on in the systems change space in Aotearoa New Zealand at the moment, and what interventions might we put in place in order to support it. So if systems innovation is a new type of innovation, we also need new innovation infrastructure. So um, with that, I'm going to open up um, the questions. And Marissa, I'm going to come to you straight away. I gave a very quick um, introduction to some of the initiatives we spoke uh, to in the process. Um, which one out of uh, the seven most resonated with you and, and why? Um, kia ora koutou. Uh, thank you so much for having me here. This is a wonderful conversation. Um, all of them, first off, were amazing. It was a really a really special experience to be able to speak to so many social change makers. Um, I think one of the ones that resonated most deeply with me was uh, Regen Melbourne. Um, and in particular, just the process that they took to establish a Melbourne-specific donut economic model, um, the really deep engagement that they had with their communities and their willingness to um, alter a very well-known model to fit what worked best for the community that they were serving. Um, a couple of the modifications that they made in response to a lot of deep community engagement was to not just talk about a social foundation, but to call it a community and relationship specific one. Um, additionally, in talking about the ecological ceiling, really centering that on people's reconnection to nature as being really foundational. And I think one of the most um, meaningful things to me was that when they spoke with people around networks, one of the things that they kept hearing over and over again was the importance of arts and culture in the vision that the community had for their future. Um, and it was a theme that I saw in a couple of other um, initiatives as well. And it was one um, that, I, that I really kind of honed in on as being something that potentially you know, we know is important, but may underestimate just how important those opportunities to connect through arts and music and public spaces actually is. And Marissa, that was one of the, the key things, which I think actually somewhat surprised even the kind of conveners of Regen Melbourne, that they were working with the donut and all these self-evident things, which we know we have to get right. But then they kind of realized there was no space in it for arts and culture, right? 
and they, they realized that that was actually a key frame with the way that people who live in the city frame their life and 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 you know sort of existence there so yeah the, sometimes the arts and culture piece drops off the the impact the impact piece which you know is is is, is not i think how it plays in reality um, Ian, same question to you. Out of the initiatives we spoke to, which which was the one that sort of grabbed your attention and why? Kia ora koutou. Um, actually, I'm going to I'm going to come on to mine in a minute, but the, the, maybe the the context of um, why um, I guess Future of Fish and Peter Battisti, the um, the executive director there, um, really wowed me. Um, and I'm going to come back uh, because I guess. It's fantastic what we're what we're seeing now and what we're hearing now is um, a lot more talk about the importance of systems or systems change or systems innovation. Um, yeah, so future future of fish, and I guess uh, so. There, there is a a lot more conversation now, and the language is being used: systems, systems change, systems innovation. Um, but I get I guess um, that's that's a first step and a good step, but there isn't um, necessarily. Even even within the community, even with the community that we had across Australasia, um, who were systems change people, there wasn't clarity around what does it actually mean to deliver on systems and systems change and systems innovation. Um, and so, and I guess a lot of the noise um, or a lot of the, the talk about it is, hey, yeah, we need to operate at that systems level. Um, but often what people are talking about is, Hey, my project or my organization, you know, we're good people doing good stuff and therefore we're going to change the system, which is not systems change. The systems change is going to come by an understanding of the system and then understanding, um, you know, what your organization brings and who you need to partner with at that systems level to be able to bring about that change. And so coming back then to Future of Fish, uh, I was completely wowed by the language um, that Peter was using and the narrative that he was using. So, um, you know, most of us who are active in this space, we really struggled to articulate clearly what we do, why we do it and and who we are. And the future of fish and the presentation, uh, Alex, are the, is the presentation available online or is it part of the report? Part of, part of the report. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. It was, it was incredible. In fact, it was, it was so good that, um, at the connective, we we took some of what they um, how they'd framed things, and we've started to use it for ourselves, but also in terms of you know how we engage with communities and organisations as well to explain um, you know what's required and 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 how you go about it. So um, so language and and narrative may not seem like a big thing, but I think it's an enormous thing. Um, globally, and it's an enormous thing that's required um, here in Aotearoa, New Zealand now. So ha have a look on their on their website um, in terms of what they do, um, why they do it, um, and, and who they are. Those three things um, is really clear, and you can understand actually what it means to be a systems catalyst or, or delivering systems change. Thanks, Ian. And, and I... Um... I think kind of the cooperation angle sort of can show up in different ways as well. I, I just saw from Brian, you know, immature venture capital scene. And it's interesting to think about like what does collaborative or commons capital look like? So a bit, uh, I'm doing some work um, with Regen Melbourne uh, around their uh, Make the Burrow Run River Swimmable. 
So this significant challenge, which is going to require structural and systemic change in the public, private and community sector. And in order to sort of progress towards that outcome, any number of things, are interconnected things, have to be resourced and progressed at the same time. So how do you form portfolios and allocate resource so those things can work in concert to a certain degree, rather than just seeing individual deals and propositions and promising opportunities? So it's not just collaboration in people, but it's collaboration in uh, capital and any number of other things as well, which I think is a hugely promising space, or, or, although, you know, um, you know, very kind of early days in how we're, we're, we're treading those areas. So um, we've only got a few minutes left, but I do want to open up now to any sort of questions or comments that people have, things they might like to share about their own work in the system space or questions around the process that we run or to Ian and Marissa about their, their work um, specifically. There is a question here, why are NZ territorial local authorities support primary data gathering? I, I'm not in a position to respond to, to that. Um, but I do think it's in, interesting that um, a lot of the systems initiatives we're seeing are very much based in place. And it seems that, you know, places where systems become tangible, it's easy to see how humans are connected to land, connected to economy. And how do you build the will and make the case for resourcing? Marissa, do you want to have a go at that? this? You know, like, you know, how how do we value the role of the convener and actually kind of, you know, support them, but also um, support the capability development of more people, um, you know, with the skill sets to, to hold that work. Mm -hmm. I will say I don't have the the shining star answer because it's a, it's a big question. Um, I think I can kind of go back to community development, though. Um, a lot of times for these types of things, especially questions that may be really important or initiatives are important that might not be ranking high on the political agenda, but that are important to residents or important to kind of everyday people like me and you. Um, building up some type of um, community motivators can be really good. Um, if there is an initiative, if there is somebody who can, you know, if they have the time to be that initial champion to build kind of a bit of momentum around an issue, people will listen. I think sometimes we feel very disempowered from our political processes, but in Aotearoa, you're very, very close to your government. Um, and that was something that for me coming here was really lovely to know instead of having to go through six people and somebody's aid and then somebody else's assistant and maybe get a meeting 15 minutes with a senator, I can just pick up a phone and call someone. Like, how does that happen? So yeah, one of the... Um, an example for myself was I, my band was playing a gig at a CBD um, venue and the gig was shut down by like an insane amount of police officers because of um, a single noise complaint. Right. And so we ended up responding by doing kind of some grassroots community organizing, ended up with this very grassroots uh, organization, Saved in Eden Life Music. Um, and people were able to organize and um, you know, go to different meetings, right? Use a very systems approach to being able to do this and have already started to influence policy with nobody actually being paid. Now, understand there's a lot of unpaid labor there. Um, but at this point, there would potentially be the opportunity to get that integrator supported. But a lot of times it is a community development type of a person, or it may be in a 
in a faith community, somebody who is in that in that church or that mosque that's doing that role. Um, but there does need to be a lot of will um, beyond that single person to be able to say, actually, there are three or 400 people that are actively engaged in wanting this to happen. And at that point, there's much more capacity for being able to say, okay, let's get this funded for somebody to do this work. But you you really have to step out of your comfort zone and get into doing the work. You really can't expect somebody to just believe your word for it. You have to put your hands out there and start doing the work. Thank you, Marissa. That's um, really good insights and, um, you know, sort of messages to land, before, you know, sort of way out of the session. Ian, I just want to see, can you have a quick swing at the comment from Brian around government needs to fill the void of R&D because we don't have big companies? You know, like, you know, I mean, government is just a proxy for us, right? You know, it doesn't feel like that sometimes. But as in, like, how do we invest in, you know, how do we have commons investment in commons R&D? Uh, well, I'm, when, when you line me up for this conversation, you ask me what the barriers are first, because I think that's important. We've got to be clear about what's actually holding us back at the moment and then, and then land on the solution. So I think um, one is there needs to be deeper understanding of um, why we need to, to shift our approaches and our lens and the way of, of seeing things, what the value of it is, because there's huge value in doing this. So at the moment, we kind of, people will look at it and go, hey, if we have to do this level of collaboration, oh, that's that's going to take time and it's going to, and it's going to cost money, right? So yes, it does take time and then it does cost money, but you end up with a hell of a lot more. So I think if there were, if we, can have more um, uh, examples of where we deliver a whole lot more from these systems approaches. I think that's that's a big thing. But the big and Alex, I know you and I don't have exactly the same opinion on this, but for me, I think the the biggest thing that's holding us back in Aotearoa is we don't have a great culture of collaboration. We don't see the need um, to collaborate, um, and and it's across it's across society. I mean, I. I worked in Europe and this space for 20 years, coming home to New Zealand. Um, it really shocked me about how actually academics and researchers, Marissa, you're, you're an, an exception, who don't see the value in partnering with, you know, with communities or with businesses or with the, the public sector and, and the other way around as well. The number of um, companies that I've been uh, talking, I uh, talked to, it's like, you know, well, who are you working with in, in the research space? It's like, oh, we don't, we don't work on that. We kind of do our own thing. And that is not the case in the rest of the world. So we don't have a great culture and we don't, uh, of, of seeing the value in, in collaborating or how that works. Um, and that, and that, that feeds into, as we start to try, and while, as I said before, there's a lot more talk about and, and, and many, um, mentions across, you know, from government, from philanthropy, from business, saying actually systems is where we need to be, where we need to be going. But the barrier is going to be if we don't have, if we can't um, create that culture or support that culture or that way that really has deep, deep collaboration, then we do have to create those those structures. We do need to create those safe spaces where people can come in and be, be clear that they have permission to operate in a different way, to collaborate in a different way, see themselves and their organization in a different way in this space. And then the, the second piece I think that we need is, yeah, was that radical innovation or radical, radical collaboration? 
completely. This is this is what we need. But you've it's but it's got to be it's got to be targeted, right? It's got to be set up properly. It's got to be the right people in the room, and we need a diverse range of people in the room. Completely what Marissa said, and the you know the failure. It's fundamental. We're, this, we're never going to like learn anything if we don't take risks on stuff, and 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 we don't have a great um, appetite for risk. But the the second piece really is the how to. I mean, if I think about the living standards framework, you know, the well being stuff, that's a fantastic you know framework. But we don't have a how to for applying that. That could be you know a, a tool that we use for joining things up, systems innovation, systems joining. But there isn't a how to. So I think we need some tools, some frameworks that um, people can use that we can say, hmm, what does it look like for all these different pieces to come together? What's the value that comes from it? And 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 how can we figure out what our space is, what our piece is and, and, and who we need to partner with? Thanks, Ian. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with you and I wanna sort of go just a, um, a bit further into some of the key learnings which came up for us all throughout the process. And, and Maybe I'm going to share a couple of mine um, and build in on um, future of the fit, future of fish, and also the elements of language. You know, one of the things which came out from all the initiatives was how long it took to actually get all the key stakeholders in the place where they had a shared understanding of the system that they were part of, the goals that they wanted to achieve, and to find ways of working with each other. So it wasn't as if everyone had to speak the same language, but everyone had to have a sense of what everyone else was saying. And so the readiness factor and the pre-organization before anything material happened was an essential part of systems change being possible. And the second point, which kind of builds on that, was how many of the initiatives had to actually kind of disguise the kind of systems transformation ambition from their funders. Because a lot of the time they felt that their funders had a real focus on what are you specifically going to do and what will it specifically achieve? And trying to sort of convey the idea is we have to convene people, we have to find a way of working together, and we have to then create the conditions for people to start to act towards a shared goal was something which was just too hard to explain. So it, it, there was this sort of irony that a lot of their funders were talking the rhetoric of systems change but a lot of the initiatives were actually having to disguise you know, the reality of what they were doing. So they were sort of two very confronting things that came out for me um, and certainly speaks to sort of how we have to think about funding and financing uh, differently in a systems context. But Ian, what, what were two, two or three things which throughout the process, away from Future of the Fish, that really resonated uh, with you? Um, and I guess future of fish, but also wider and, and wider work in, in this space. So you know, agree completely with you, Alex. I think the the starting point, though, is the, the consistent need for a safe space. And whether that safe space is a, um, a virtual space or whether it's a physical space or whether it's even a, a new entity or a new structure that's created to be able to support people to come together in a way and collaborate in a way that they don't normally do, right? So to me, that's that's the foundational thing. You need to have that space um, where you can come and say, actually, we're going to operate in a different way now. We're going to operate, we're going to collaborate in a different way, and we're going to think about uh, and be really clear about what it is that our organization and each of the organizations um, bring to the table. So, I mean, one of the, one of the big projects 
um, that um, was involved in, in Europe um, we co uh, was called um, Smart Sustainable Districts, and that had nine of the largest um, district-scale developments across Europe in London and Paris and, and Berlin and uh, Malmo and a bunch of other places. And and the the difference actually with the with the culture piece, but all of them started with actually let's bring in all of the the key players in the development, whether it be you know the local authority, the mayor's office, you know all the utilities, the developers, the, across local communities together, uh, and bringing them together to, with a as you said, Alex, a, a common goal and be clear and land on that common goal, but actually having the space where they can come in and be able to do that and and operate and collaborate in ways that they didn't um, normally. And in the, the Smart Sustainable Districts program, it was it was really telling that some of the cultures, particularly the, the Scandinavian cultures, they just got it straight away. They people would come in, you'd have, you know, the mayor's representative and you'd have the you know chief executive of the of the energy company and and the rest coming in with local communities. And the engagement was there and they were able to coalesce around the you know the focus and whether what, what they were looking for, but also what they would all bring. Whereas in in other countries, we're working in in the UK as well, for example. And it actually took about nine months be, before you know each of the players got to a level of of trust sufficiently to be able to say, okay, this is what we bring, and this is how how it fits together. And um, yeah, that sense that a lot of the initiatives did see themselves as infrastructure, you know, like they were the platform or the space yeah. to allow kind of a much broader range of actors to to find ways of working um, with each other. So, you know, in the same way that we think about moving, you know, energy or water, you know, like infrastructure, you know, for for new ways of organising and acting. Marissa, how, how about you? Over the course of the 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 process what were a couple of things which really kind of stuck with you yeah um through a couple of the different conversations um it came up that the the messy middle layer between the micro and the macro was what was missing in a lot of initiatives or was kind of the magic dust in the ones that succeeded um and i and i think for folks on this uh, on this session, it's probably quite interesting to to hear that kind of interpersonal people skills and the art of hosting and the capacity to facilitate what Eden was talking about those safe spaces was really critical in making those things work. Um, and I think that those skills sometimes get lost in the larger, very jargony conversations about systems change or systems infrastructure. Um, but really focusing in on how we are with one another and how we create those relationships. Again, kind of hearkening back to what Ian was talking about, about the successful ones, about creating that type of trust. Um, really, you can't do this work without that. There's You can't do this work on KPIs and kind of reductionist thinking. It really is about branching out and 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 being able to form those connections with people that then you can coordinate into larger systemic action. Um, uh, I think, you know, another another kind of reaction, and this is you, you had said that you need to develop this shared understanding of a system and and to some degree yes but also to some degree you know these are dynamic systems and because they're always changing it's almost impossible really for anybody to develop a shared understanding of them because we're looking at these systems each of us from a different perspective um, and so kind of building on the idea of interpersonal kind of facilitation hosting and relationship skills is that 
rather than trying to necessarily understand the complexity in detail, it's about creating a shared set of values or a shared set of heuristics or rules of thumb about how we'll work together and how we'll treat one another. Um, those algorithms of relationship that then allow us to work collaboratively towards shared goals that may be quite um, quite audacious. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you brought up the kind of the role of kind of the individuals within the collective. And all of those initiatives really did did stress the importance of the people which held the convening and actually how attritional that work was and quite often a thankless task, um, trying to hold very different expectations, you know, often a lot of conflict, you know, so to be able to sort of show up and mediate in those situations and allow people to, you know, to get into places where they are working towards some degree of sort of, you know, commonality um, was a quite a, a specific skill set. And um, yeah, and I, I found there was a juxtaposition that we were talking about whole system shifts and, you know, and things which are really quite large scale, the whole cities or whole kind of food systems or, or, or economic um, uh, systems in, t uh, in terms of the fisheries, but the roles of individuals in kind of convening and facilitating those processes was, was, was really critical. Ian, before we go on to Sorry, talk about sorry, sort of I'm, some of your respect. Yeah, I was going to say, do you want to chip in and, you know, I anything add, else? To... You know, add to that. I mean, I think that's why the future of fish and that's that's what they were set up, right? And they were set up to to be that. And that's what they say. This is what we are. We're an intermediary. And then most people, it's an intermediary is like someone who's, you know, clipping the ticket. But they said, actually, it's not working for these reasons. Therefore, we need to have somebody who does what we now will be doing. And this is, and this is how we do it. So... Yeah, if you're just kind of doing it as as a um, as a side job, that kind of convening very different organisations and different cultures, then is always going to be pretty challenging. Which is why many of the ones that really do succeed, they have um, purpose built um, integrators. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what was your question? No, I was going to go on and um, just to come to outside of that process and sort of start to bring it back to you know, where we are now. And firstly, through the lens of, you know, what, tell us a bit more about your work and how it relates to some of the themes that we we kind of sort of um, surfaced through that um, discovery process we had. Um, yeah, so the, the, we're the connective, we call ourselves um, Impact Enterprise, small organization, but um, we primarily work with organizations that are challenging the status quo, whether it be organizations that are looking for, you know, evolving economic models or business models or ways of doing things. Uh, and we partner with them and help help primarily with understanding systems. Yes, there are dynamic systems, but we need to have an understanding of what's, you know, what are the what are the barriers that are stopping change from happening and and where are the, you know, where are the um uh, enablers, we call them, or the you know the uh, catalytic intervention points. What are, what are the combination of things that are going to work um, best in terms of you know being able to you know um, affect that change? So it is quite um, practical, um, but it does does pretty much all the time start with an understanding of kind of okay um, where the organisation has come from, and these are community organisations, these are iwi Māori organisations, these are companies, these are you know public. Um, uh, well, 
public uh, organizations, um, regional, national, um, so quite a quite a broad range. And it does start with, okay, you know, where have you come from? What are you aiming for? And therefore, let's understand kind of where you are now in terms of having a, a, a deep understanding of what is holding back, you know, the change that you're looking to, to affect. And then we do come down and, and a big piece of it is looking at, um, okay, if, if these are the combination of interventions that will support you on that journey, then what are what are the structures? What are the governance? What's the you know what is required to be able to effectively bring the you know that level of collaboration in that system? Um, so yeah, so we working on um, a number of things at the moment in this space. One of the big ones is looking at the transition for Aotearoa's um, economy to become more circular in the future. So we're looking at whole economy uh, level, we're looking at food systems, we're looking at the built environment, advanced manufacturing, and that's quite a big picture, long-term game, learning from others internationally, learning from what's happening, good that's here, but really having it as a solid base, um, that systems approach. We're doing similar things in land use and, and forestry models, you know, looking at how we can evolve in Aotearoa to, you know, higher value add and and um forestry models that work better for biodiversity for you know for the land for people um, a whole lot better than ones that we have um, now particularly moving away from uh, the monoculture and clear failed models with um with pine um we're doing similar kinds of things in um, housing and investment models that um can be uh, grow Māori-led housing um, across Aotearoa, um, circular models with community community groups who are looking at how they can um, create local economies that kind of work for them, um, uh, particularly those that are, are rural and and um, and and in the Pacific as well, similar kinds of things. So quite quite a broad range. Um, and so in, when, when we've heard from Rissa, I want to come back to you and sort of go, that's a very broad range of things that you're doing. You know, what are the things which are, you know, creating barriers for, you know, those things to go well? And what kind of supports would, you know, kind of enable that work that you're involved in and, you know, sort of being held obviously by other partners as well. But Marissa, in terms of your work, you know, sort of give us a little insight to sort of what you're doing and how it related to some of the things that we, um, you know, sort of saw and heard throughout the process. Um, so preface this by saying that I am a social work academic. Um, so I work in the area of social work, which a lot of times people think of as statutory services, but my area is macro social work. Um, so that's much more about systems change and community development. So that's the kind of area that intersects with the shaping innovation future. So, you know, I teach this, I teach the types of facilitation, hosting and interpersonal uh, relationship building skills so that people can facilitate in those areas. And so it's, um, it's wonderful to be able to uh, engage uh, with people from such diverse initiatives and be able to translate that into my teaching. Um, but more on the research side of things, I run a lab at uh, University of Otago called Star Lab, which is the Systems Transformation Action Research Lab. Uh, you can take a look at it at Starlab starlab.org.nz. Um, and so Star Lab looks at the potential of social entrepreneurship and social innovation 
to uh, foster systemic transformation for a more just and sustainable future. Um, so we do that in a lot of different ways. We're really looking at partnering with um, different institutions and communities and organizations, um, answering questions that are of interest to peoples who are practicing in this space. Um, so, for example, um, working with the Itirere Collective in Auckland uh, that is piloting, uh, funded by Foundation North and piloting refugee entrepreneurship programs in Auckland um, and really trying to understand what's necessary to be able to expand people's understanding of who gets to be an entrepreneur. That feeds into a kind of a larger program of research around developing inclusive entrepreneurial ecosystems. Um, so there's just a lot of people left out of the conversations when we're talking about innovation, we're talking about change, um, and these entrepreneurial ecosystems, right, the different types of supports and policies and culture that foster that type of entrepreneurial spirit and mentality, um, to date, really haven't worked for everybody. Um, and so the work that I've done both in Aotearoa, but also um, in West Africa and in the United States, is really around trying to understand how we can create support services, policies um, that foster that type of divergent thinking and innovation coming from all walks of life. Uh, because we know that the people who currently have the power haven't yet come up with the solutions for all the problems, um, but we have so much capacity, so much human capacity out there. And it really is about not expecting people to fit themselves into a certain mold, but to expand what that looks like. Um, so today, a lot of research looks specifically at Maori entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship with neurodiverse people or entrepreneurship for women. But the reality is, is we all have these complex intersectional identities, really kind of reflecting the complexity approach to the Shaping Innovation Futures Project. So in, an, you know, each person being their own universe, that could be one person, you know, a neurodiverse Maori woman. So which entrepreneurship program is she supposed to do? Which identity is she supposed to select that day in order to engage in this system? So really looking at how can we transform this into something that is much more open to people's complex identities and celebrating them in the ways that they want to be celebrated and not in those tokenistic ways that sometimes do occur. So speaking of you, Marissa, and the same kind of question that I um, indicated to Ian, what kind of support structures, you know, might we change or develop to better support the people either engaging in systems innovation from a, you know, you were saying you teach this stuff, you know, from point of view of convening and facilitating, or more broadly, um, you know, kind of the structures, be them financial um, or, you know, sort of around policy shifts, you know, what, Tell me, you know, share with us a couple of things that you think would make a difference in terms of enabling uh, deeper and, um, uh, you know, systems work to, to. I think one of the most important shifts that would facilitate a lot of it would be to be very open about the acceptance of failure. Um, I think we're still operating in a very risk averse environment when it comes to innovation. Um, less so in the entrepreneurship space, much more in the social work and social services space. And we really need to, to be able to, um, not to fail in unethical ways, but to fail in really honest ways. Because as we know, when it comes to innovation and entrepreneurship, that is the fastest way to learn what you do need to do. Um, but if we're not able to take those risks and people are so afraid of failing that they don't say ideas that might not be popular, 
Um, they don't do research ideas that don't fit into someone's notion of what's allowable. We really miss out on a lot of that. And so I think whatever infrastructures that we're looking for, um, they really need to have a, a very overt and clear way of how we deal with failure, how we assess risk in a way that makes people feel much more open to being their true authentic selves, even if it doesn't fit in with what's currently kind of allowable. And uh, anything else, you know, and anything, you know, that's a sort of a paradigm shift, yeah. I suppose, but anything sort of, you know, structural at all? Um, I think that if we're talking in the specific context of Aotearoa, um, there is a lot of the country kind of stops at Wellington. And if we're being very um, open, it stops at Christchurch. There's some very cool stuff happening in Queenstown and Otapotidaniden and in Invercargill. So I think from that point of view, I think we need to open it up to looking for innovation and more than the usual suspects. Okay, and Ian, uh, over to you. And then um, once you've responded, just going to use the last time to any sort of questions or comments from the floor. So if you've got anything, please um, get ready to pitch in. But Ian, what, what do you like to see introduced, which you think could, you know, support um, more systems innovation in Aotearoa? Um, yeah, I'll answer that. But actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, feed off what Marissa just said as well, because I think the drivers can come from very different places, right? So the, the two organizations that I was involved in helping set up in, in Europe, the first one was um, systems approaches for sustainable development. and But that was driven by industry. So we had IBM and Siemens and Arup and HSBC, we had the Mayor's Office of London and others coming together and saying, actually, the solutions we need for our communities and our future cities need to be system solutions. And therefore, we need to create a space where we can start to, to work with communities and others. The other one was on climate change, and that came from the European Commission, where they basically said, actually, so many of the solutions that we need are going to be system solutions, and they're not going to come from the market. Therefore, we as a government need to put some money in and create the, the, the framing for all the parts, you know, the research, the academic, academic the public, the private, the you know, the entrepreneurs, et cetera, civil society to be able to come together. So I think it can come from many different sources. And the last thing that we should be doing is saying, hey, we just got to wait for them to do it, whether it be government or whether it be industry or whether it be community. We just got to get on and do it. Um, the R&D, yeah, we don't have big business. Well, we do have some big business, but we don't have a whole lot of um, investment into R&D. And one of the things I was just going to mention is that there's a there's a, a big review on now um, called uh, Tiara Pairangi, the future um, future pathways, which is looking at the next 10 years of science, innovation and research for Aotearoa New Zealand. And the white, they basically did a whole lot of research, uh, I mean, and feedback around what's good and what's not so good in our, in our research and innovation space. And so much of what they highlighted was our structures are set up, the CRIs, the universities, the way that we fund things across everything, we're set up in silos, right? And so one of the one of the really positive things that's coming out of that white paper, and then what they're looking at is what are the priorities going forward, hopefully is saying, actually, we need to have you know, some fundamental changes in structures and ways of being able to bring people together so we can operate at that, that holistic level. 
Um, Perfect. And we've just had um, ticked over to one minute over. So time to pop on over to the other room to close. But thank you so much for our panels. Alex, I'll let you do a proper thank you and closing out for us as well. No, I don't want to hold it back. Thanks um, for um, joining the conversation, Ian and Marissa. Uh, firstly, thanks everyone else for sort of um, turning up to listen. There's a link to the Shape Innovation Futures report in the chat. Um, do have a look and all of us, I'm sure, will be happy to engage um, outside if there's, if there's any further conversations to be had. But thank you all. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that panel discussion on systems innovation for impact. There was lots of highlights for me, and I hope that you take away something that you reflect on that might impact on your process and what it is that you're doing. If you enjoy this, then why not tell one other person? Don't forget, there's lots more content in the back catalog. Until next time, kakite ano!